0: Nothing makes me cringe more than when I hear a message from the pulpit that is name it and claim it or prosperity gospel. It's just totally skewed, a type of false gospel, not how things work. Upon becoming Christian, we didn't receive a faith that promises us ease and comfort. And if you think that's what Christianity is, or even choose to reject the truth and believe that's what Christianity is, you're in for a really hard, defeated walk and or possibly a rude awakening. Hey fam. This is Katie, and welcome back to The Katie Armstrong Show. So, obviously, today's topic is going to be a bit sobering, but it so needs to be talked about and understood considering the ramifications that lay ahead for the Christian, meaning a defeating and or shipwrecked faith. I really don't think anything else triggers my cringe button, quite like hearing a Sunday name it and claim it or prosperity gospel message. First, let me break down and explain to you What kind of message it is I'm referring to here when I say name it and claim it or prosperity message, and then why it's so damaging. Have you ever heard a pastor say something like, God wants you to be healthy and happy and financially set? That's his will for you. He wants you to have the dream job and all the babies and anything else you're dreaming of achieving or desire. He wants your life to be a life of material abundance and ease, not affected by the fallen world. All you have to do is pray, have faith and he'll deliver. I mean, if God is the gift giver, who didn't even spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things, Romans 8.32 says. He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him, Hebrews 11.6 says. If there is a flu going around, you don't submit to that flu. In Jesus' name you claim good health because Psalm 91.10 says, You have made the Lord your dwelling. No evil will befall you. No plague will approach your tent. Are you seeing what I'm saying here? What a prosperity or name it and claim it message does is completely overlook and pervert the actual gospel and the actual reality of, well, pretty much everything. And it totally leads people away from service to God into self-service and self-worship, living this life for themselves and their agenda, where God is their genie and not their God. But it sounded nice, didn't it? It's a great twist on scripture, on what God has said, totally ignoring pretty much everything in the entire Bible and what God's plan and objective is here on earth. It just breaks my heart to hear congregations be told this sort of thing, mostly because I know when they walk out and go home, they're going to expect X, Y, and Z to happen as a Christian and eventually end up defeated, feeling unloved, wanting to give up, like they don't know how to have faith, depressed, and all sorts of confused and questioning God as to the whys of life. It's just such a missed mark by pastors to equip and teach the truth that sets us free. Because the prosperity gospel or those name and claim it messages, those don't set us free. In fact, they distort our purpose and relationship with God and set us on a path of constant false expectation and emotional turbulence, which is a kind of bondage. We'll never find peace under the belt of that teaching, just confusion. The real gospel, the one that demonstrates in truth just how good God is and how much He loves us, should incite a response from us toward God that is of service and sacrifice, not a commitment to expecting, demanding, or claiming for ease. We are enlisted soldiers now, entering into a battle, still living in this fallen, broken, disease ridden world for the glory and kingdom of God. So let's talk about what we actually signed up for as a Christian and the perspective that will give us peace as we sojourn through this crazy world. When we realize all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and the wages of sin is death, but God so loved the world that he sent his only son so that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Our eyes should have been opened and our knees should have hit the floor in gratitude, reverence and worship as deeply flawed creatures before their perfect, holy and good creator who loved and loves us so much that he extended us such mercy ready to forsake sin, our flesh, and the world. All the things that are in opposition to God, pick up our cross and follow him. Romans 12:1 says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, which is his not destroying us, but saving us by his own blood. So in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, this is your true and proper worship. There is a reason you and I, all of us Christians are still here, a reason we didn't get sucked up to heaven the moment we believed to be relieved of this fallen world and our flesh and given our eternal life of beauty and ease before God. And it's to be of service to others. The great commission of Matthew 28. It's thank you for opening my eyes, Lord, and showing me this fallen world. Thank you for showing me my sin and sinful nature and for saving me from the sting of it, eternal death. For eternal life. I see now. You are good. You are the only thing that is truly good. And you have enlisted me now to stay in your name and fight in this battle against evil for souls by the power of your spirit that you've placed within me. How can I best surrender the rest of my life here to serve you? How can I best glorify your great name before I come home to heaven? What would you like to do with my life? What works have you created me for in Christ before the foundation of the world? Recall Ephesians 2.10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You see, the prosperity and name it stuff is all about me. It's God saved me and now I can live for me with a genie by my side to do so. It focuses totally on the here and now and escaping the discomforts of this world. It claims I'm above suffering and this fallen world and I can kind of command of God what God's will is to be for my life based on Garden of Eden conditions and poorly applied scripture that isn't understood in context of the whole counsel of God. It really is everything that has nothing to do with the actual reality of God, His plan, and being enlisted. Hopefully a lot of what I've said so far hasn't been too jarring. What I'm about to say, though, might be, but it'll be a huge, crazy blessing that will change the way you see and live and experience God if you'll dig in and receive it. Here it is. Nothing. None. None. Not one thing on this side of heaven is about us. As long as we are here, it is all about God. Just like the Apostle Paul, we don't necessarily want to stay here at times. Some of us don't even want to stay here at all. This world can be a letdown and a beatdown and really disappointing. But we've been kept here and asked to endure, like Jesus endured, for a greater purpose of God's, with Jesus by our side and his power to help us in service to God for his glory, To be a light for souls in hopes that they might join us in eternity. It's all about God's will and what he desires to accomplish, not our will and our desired life of selfish ease. This is called total surrender, totally handing over our short earthly lives to be used for his glory in response to his work for us on the cross and the awesomeness of eternal life. And that's what Romans 12.1 means, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. This is where the greatest peace one can find is and the truest freedom this side of heaven. When we can lay it all down, praying to God, but accepting what God allows, it's his life and shine through it by the power of Christ for his glory. This is how we store up treasures in heaven, as Matthew 6 says. But this can only come by a true and accurate understanding of God, the gospel, his agenda, and our purpose. It is true. In perfection, our lives weren't ever supposed to be touched by hardship or trouble or sin and pain. However, the reality has changed and the context of life and the mission on earth is now different. There will be suffering and pain and disease and loss. Just because we are Christian and pray does not exclude it. God's will for our lives could include any or all of it. For God did not even let the cup pass from his own son when he prayed. But God's power is made perfect in our weakness where his glory can shine brightest. John sixteen thirty three says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. All this is part of what God can use to change hearts and bring others towards Christ, when they can see the reality of him through our lives, when they can see us going through the same things or worse, and prevailing with joy and trust, or standing and doing what takes courage and or couldn't be done apart from a real God like standing for Christ in the face of death, or even lesser things that still take an extreme amount of courage and bravery. Philippians 4:12 through 13 says, I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Now, I don't want you to walk away from this feeling any kind of defeated as if all we signed up for is hardship and suffering. That's not what I've been trying to say here. God is a big God. He does heal and he can do anything he wants. He performs miracles all the time. Look at a child, for example, and he can and does give really good tangible material blessings, not just the great blessing of knowing him and eternal life, but not always. It is all in accordance with his will and for his highest and best purposes, which oftentimes are way above our pay grade of figuring out. Just remember that. This perspective, fam, is one to dig into and hold on tight to. It will center you in truth and change the way you live, see, experience life, relate to, and even love God. It will give you clear vision and peace and take away any bitterness that you might have towards God. He is a good, good God. It's just our view of the gospel and our purpose here that needs fine-tuned sometimes to be able to see just how good he is. And unfortunately, despite their title and best intentions, pastors don't always help. A good way to test a message is ask yourself, Could my pastor go to the poorest country, suffering the worst persecution, and present this same message and still have it be true? Because name it and claim it stuff and prosperity stuff will fail the test every time. Why? Because it's inaccurate. It's a distortion of what's true. God's promises, His word, it's for everyone and properly understood and interpreted, applicable to every circumstance and every situation. If I can encourage you as we wrap up here, fam, be Bereans of the word. Your pastor is just a man, a human, no different than you and me. He just happens to be standing on a stage with, sometimes without, that's another story, the gift of teaching. And sometimes that teaching, best intended, can be inaccurate and damaging. You've got to be able to know what is in the Bible and know the truth for yourself so that you can discern error and live out the abundant life Jesus said he came to give. Heck, even know what that means, right? Don't just rely on someone else's study. Even this one. There's just too much hanging in balance. As always, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, I'd love for you to leave me a review and let me know what you think. They help me to start ranking on Apple Podcasts, and I also read them. Please share this episode with a family member or a friend and pray for me over this podcast and that God would get it to the right people. Thank you all for being here. God bless you, and I'll talk to you soon.